Welcome to Spin It, a business podcast that takes you into the lives of some of today's most influential leaders, entrepreneurs, game changers, athletes, and many more. On Spin It, we take a deep dive into the lives and journeys of our guests to deliver real, unfiltered, and unscripted conversations that will surely inspire hope and promote change. We focus not on their current success, but on the obstacles and challenges that they faced along the way that often doesn't get talked about. How they battled adversity getting up and being knocked down when all of the odds were stacked against them. Today, I had the chance to speak with David Breyer. David is a best-selling author, speaker, and Google's number one rebranding expert. David has spent 40 years in the world of branding. His best-selling book, Brand Intervention, is all about the way to build your best and most authentic brand. On the show today, we discuss David's creative energy and how he works with clients all over the world. We learn the basics of building your unique, genuine brand and David's best advice for startup branding. This was such an interesting conversation with David. And if you're wanting to learn how to build your brand from scratch, keep listening. Hey, David, thank you so much for joining. I am so excited to do this with you. Oh, absolutely. I think that our little pre-episode conversation has really uh, has warmed up everything necessary to be warmed up so that this is actually just ready to rumble. Ready to rumble. This is fabulous. Welcome to the jungle. Yes. Okay. Now, now you're, you're, you're supposed to like do a dance move of some sort. There you go. How's that? that, that, not, How's that bad. Okay? not bad. I mean, that's all I got from here up. So <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. So I want to talk about the early days. I want to talk about, you know, were you always this super creative mastermind guy? Did you grow up like this or is this something that was developed? I was always rebellious. I, oh, I did not color within the lines. My routine, my routine grade for behavior was D. <laughs> and so definitely there was always a restlessness, but... I think as I grew up, it became and matured into curiosity that I could channel, right? Um, prior to that, it was like, okay, um, teacher's boring, whatever, let, let's have a good time, with the, you know, like that kind of thing. So it's not channeling, right, anything. That's yeah. kind of like making the time pass in the best way possible. But then, you know, as one just gets into, on into life and you go, okay, okay. And so that's, so I think it was a matter of like channeling it into, I was always very, very interested in art, interested in music, interested in, in things that, you know, because I grew up a Brooklyn kid, Brooklyn, Queens, a uh, little bit of time, Long Island, hated it. And then Manhattan is where I moved and th- that started my career and just loved the smells, the tastes, the, the architecture, the lighting, the this, that. I just enjoyed all that stuff and the stuff that made me stop and go, ooh. It's kind of freaking interesting. What is that shit? So, so you weren't you weren't a great student then. You were all over the board. You were just like really not teacher's pet. I was all over the board. It, I I would say in retrospect, if I had a really, you know how you know how probably about every ten or fifteen years, there's like one of these one of these movies that comes out that's like there's this great mentor teacher movie, right? And the, and you go, oh my god, I wish I had one of those. You know, they're always yeah. right about every 10, 15 years. There's like one of those that surfaces, and you go like a great coach or a great teacher, a great mentor. If I had one of those, which I didn't, I probably, it would have been incredibly beneficial and I probably could have been an an amazing student. I wasn't dumb, I was just inattentive. So I have a, I have a little one who's who's not so little. He'll be twelve, and it's the same thing. He's super into art. He's really focused. His IQ is through the roof. He cannot sit still in school. He's always the one that's causing problems. He's like laughing at everybody. He's the class clown. Friends with everybody. Just super social. Very extroverted. Um, like you said, loves art. Has is a really big thinker. Kind of an old soul. And I mean, his teachers just have no idea what to do with him ever. And the only way he's paving is the way to the principal's office. <laughs> and so and, and, you've given me hope. It, well, well, it, it's heart it's heartbreaking because the teachers. I'm so curious. Where'd they get the idea? Their job is to put kids in a box. How about you actually go, how about instead of like having them memorizing bullshit so they could be yeah. little, little robot, robotons that are just reciting crap back to you, you actually teach them how do you think? How do you organize the different kinds of interests and thoughts and stuff so that you can actually think and you can extrapolate and you can tear stuff apart and put it back together and actually connect dots that everyone else is missing? Why wouldn't that teach to me? That would be the aspiration of a great teacher. Not like, how do I control this kid? Where, where did control become the freaking criteria? 
It's like eat shit and die, teacher. If that's your criteria, you do not have my respect because that was never what a teacher was ever supposed to do in my book. Well, and the other thing to, to your point, David, when he has had that, not the teacher that you're explaining, not that really awesome mentor one, but when he has had somebody, you know, let him stand at the back of the room and let him, you know, like have a ball under his desk and like move around a lot. He literally gets the best grades. He literally just turns around. They're like, he is so good. And so to your point, it's been a struggle because he just doesn't fit that robotic, you know, rote memory, sit down, memorize a test. And so it's, it's awesome that you have that thinking. And I, and I love doing podcasts like this because I show him this and it gives him a lot of hope on, look at these very successful people that have done amazing, impactful, inspiring things. You know, don't let anybody put you in a box because it's just not going to work. Well, here, I'll, I'll tell you one, I'll tell you one that I, that I incorporated into my uh, brand intervention masterclass. It blows the socks off of the freaking entrepreneurs. I mean, it literally makes them millions and millions of dollars because they're owning their brand. <laughs> The one thing that I tell them, it's built into literally every week. I tell them, never learn for one, always learn for two. And I'm telling you, this is for your son. This is, what's his name? Caden. Caden? All right, Caden. Yes. This one's for you, Caden. This is for you, my friend. Here's the deal. Never learn for one, always learn for two. And what I mean by that is when we're learning just for ourselves, it can get kind of boring. So take what you're learning and find a part of that that you can actually, that you can own and actually to teach another be ready to like pass it on and then go, okay, you know what? Oh, I can teach this to one of my, one of my siblings or, or I have a, I have a friend who actually can get gain from this and take that kind of ownership of it. It will change your relationship to it. It'll increase your ownership of it. And it will absolutely have a dramatic impact on your relationship to the material because you're no longer just being the recipient of just, okay, I'm a kid and I'm here to learn. Like that, that, that's a stupid context. Um, it's like, no, you're actually here. You're, you're here to have your, actually have your mind liberated. The best way I know it, own it. And actually, you know, what, what part of this can I teach? Oh, I can teach this to so-and-so or I can teach this to so-and-so. And actually, from the standpoint of a giving, a giving orientation, you'll find it valuable. You'll find your attention greater and you'll find it much more interesting because you're not just like whatever, twiddling the thumbs because you yeah. need to own it to actually get another to understand it. So that's my tip for you, Caden. You know what, David, I love that because we always tell him, you know, learn to teach. We say this to him and it's very interesting because when he learns a new technique, like on the field or he learns something else, he's such an amazing mentor. Like even at such a young age, he will spend hours like just kicking the ball back. Nope. Catch it like this. Nope. Kick it like that. So I think that that really hits it on the head. I think you said it incredibly succinctly. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. He will love that. Yeah, just, so talk he's to got, he's got an uncle, David. Yo, man. Yo. That's great. Perfect. I love that. Talk to me about your childhood. Do you have siblings? How was your relationship with your parents? Uh, relationship with parents was fine. My brothers were 14, 15 years older than me. I was the only planned kid. You know, the first two were kind of like, oh, that's how you, that's how you get pregnant. You know, so uh, insert blot into 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 slot B. Oh, oh, that's oh, that's how oh, that's what happened. Oh, hmm, okay. So I was the the planned one. My mother and I were very, 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 very close, and. My father was, he was actually a successful cartoonist before I was born and started around the same times as Charles Schultz, who did Peanuts. He, wow. he forfeited it after about five or seven, five, six or seven years for no, no really good reason. And after that, kind of went from this to that, to that, to that. So he never, never quite landed. And that was his own inability to really own his success and own being that fulfilling that kind of role in life wow okay and then yeah so your siblings you weren't very close to because you were so much younger i was closer to my brother richard my brother stephen who uh my brother stephen was a very a very uh demon filled entrenched brother sibling very much so self-made millionaire by the time he was in his mid-30s the most miserable narcissistic sadistic pained person you could ever probably want to be around he tried but he was he was very 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 tortured soul and so you know growing up more we're, we're not close uh not too much with either but my brother richard you know we, we you know we i'd i'd visit we'd hang out we'd have a good time and he more you know he, he he wanted to bond and so so my brother richard and i we you know he's still alive my brother stephen is not and so but we get we actually get along we get along very very well and and so that's the family tree right there. So another similarity that you and Caden have is we have four, 
and Caden is the youngest and our oldest is 25 and then I'm sorry the oldest is 26 the next one is 25 the next one is 20 and then there's Caden so it's hysterical that you say this because people go when I meet people they're like oh oops and I go no he was actually the only one that was planned there you go I say the same thing I mean I'm just like we didn't get the memo the first couple Caden Caden it's like look look Caden your mother's never going to admit this to you but let me just tell you okay she didn't know what the hell she was doing with the first three but you were the planned one that's a sign. Yes. I was the planned one, and that's a sign. And so look at look at what I've achieved. You have greatness in front of you, my friend. You have greatness. Remember this moment. Boom. Incredible. Um, what made you choose design school instead of a major university? I the way it worked was I was an art I wasn't really into the into the arts, okay? Um, that was where like these painted like you like you see that painting right there? That's George Harrison. Yeah. I did that when I was like about 15 or 16, okay? Then then when I started doing stuff using computer as, as my canvas instead of oil paints, so then, you know, I started did, did these paintings. There's other art for different projects and da, 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 all, all kinds of stuff, and there's all over the, throughout the studio. But so, you know, the, the creation of art was always a big thing for me. So that's why I leaned into that. That's the thing that was most realistic to me. The idea of going to I, – I never – I would have died had I gone to something that was – First of all, the idea of, an, of, of going to like a, a major, bigger college with that was more academic and more MBA-ish. And so, first of all, the idea of an MBA was I, I probably wouldn't have even known what the hell an MBA was back then. And I find there are as many people who have MBAs that are absolutely stupid because they know all the shit in the books, but they never stopped to look at the people in front of them. If you're involved in business, if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur from the side of be as a founder or an innovator or a disruptor or introducing brands from any of those spectrums, you got to be able to freaking look. And it's one of the most common things that comes up in these kinds of conversations. What people say, it's like, what's the first thing you say? Look, I mean, look, it's like everyone wants to, everyone wants to like the shortcut to give me the little trick, give me the little silver bullet that will get me to uh, do an uptick on so I can add another zero to my, my bank account or I can buy a more expensive car or, 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 or I said, look, first of all, money is the great amplifier. Okay. If you were a dick before when you had nothing, you will now just be a, a, a wealthy dick doing more dickish, wealthy dickish things. Okay. And if you were an asshole uh, if you were not an asshole, if you were actually a kind, kind-hearted individual who actually looked out for others and actually didn't just look out for themselves, but actually looked, how do I, how do I make this situation of whatever circumstance better? If you did that with no money, you'll now just do more of that with money. So money doesn't do shit other than really expose whether you're on the good side of the of the of the equation or the not so good side of the equation. But the thing is, is that before any of that, and before any of that, ooh, everyone wants to like rush and become the next next thought leader and wants to become the next Gary Vaynerchuk and wants to become the next this, the next that, and da, 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 da. It's like, wait a second. Yeah. Have you looked? Have you stopped to look and take notice? What are people doing? What are people saying? What are people ignoring? What are people rejecting? And those simple, that simple ability to simply look is skipped so often. And how the hell are you going to come to conclusions if you can't look, if you never bothered to look in the first place? So, so that brings up so many questions and, and I'm about to get like, you know, really authentic and really genuine mm. because I, this is so much for me as much as my listeners. When I look at your background and I look at, you know, designer and branding and things like that, I, and, and growing up, this is a lot for me, David, growing up in tech, growing up in San Francisco, I haven't met somebody who started off as a graphic designer, who started off as a designer. I haven't met anyone like you. Your energy is crazy good. Your ability to quickly get to a problem, to understand the root, you're just out there. All the designers I knew, the Google designers, the Uber designers, the Lyft designers, all of the designers I knew, headphones, dark room, typing, um, you know, designing and really thinking through things. Your design ability is unbelievable but your personality is just completely incredible has it always I've definitely been like grown this, into it or have you grown I would say into that this? there were there were little kernels that helped along the way I mean I was looking completely candid 16 years old I was looking for freaking spiritual enlightenment at 16 years old I wanted I, I wanted to know why I wanted to know there, there just 
super superficial social social shit didn't really interest me very much. Now I'm not saying now. Look, I was a teenager with, with absolutely with, with the hormones. Love the babes. I'm not. I'm not saying I didn't have that part. Of course, of course, I'm not numb. But okay. But there was this other side. It was like. I wanted to know, so I so I studied. You know, I was like studying Zen Zen Buddhism and all this guys. I was I was just looking at books and trying to find answers to things that answered just more of a deeper surface stuff. Surface. I I, I hated surface superficial bullshit. Didn't like it. Didn't did, did nothing for me. It didn't challenge me. It didn't engage me. It didn't 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 engross me. And so I was always very very interested in and that little thread has continued to blossom through as I started to increase my skill with as a designer, as I started to appreciate the importance of words with regard to design, because the thing that I didn't dig, I didn't like design being treated as a cosmetic. So I, I'm the first one to say design is not fucking lipstick, okay? That's bullshit. It's like, oh, I don't like that color. Can I try this one? No, what, what the, you know, excuse me, there's a freaking strategy here. And if you don't understand the fundamentals that a brand we as individuals, we notice things that are different. We don't notice things that are all the same and blending in. We don't we don't walk into into a yes. Best Buy that has probably the worst dis- merchandising and displaying in the history of like freaking business. It's like, okay, we'll show you 75 TVs. We'll show you 120 laptops. We'll show you 732 cameras. Yeah. And they're all how the fuck am I as a shopper experientially supposed to tell the difference but the amongst all that shit what do we notice well when when Apple finally got through the thick-headedness of Best Buy I'm not a big fan of Best Buy as you can tell I do shop there occasionally all right all right Jungle Woman I couldn't pick that up I'm glad that you clarified (laughs) so the thing is so the thing is is that you know it's like i remember i once went there and asked them i asked them do they happen to have anything for an apple i think i was looking for a connecting cord or something like that for my my apple computer and they were and this guy had the attitude of attitudes and it was like uh, and and then the, probably a year later I, I saw that apple had its little you know kiosk of like boom and it's apple it's like well amongst all that crap what did what what does anybody notice they would notice the Apple thing, they wouldn't notice the C unless they already were predisposed and already knew, all right, I'm going to buy a Dell this, or I'm going to buy a ThinkPad that, or blah, 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 or whatever. So that's that's the thing. The, the importance of differences, I forget who said it, that you know, the differences are better than better. No, no, the, the different is better than better, right? And so, see, here's, here's what you got. See this there? I'm going to show it to you right there. You see that? that, that, that that's an actual yes. coin. I actually I made I made that I, I made did. that for when I, I was speaking gig about I don't know about four months ago and I gave I gave this to, to all, all all those there there you see it different is better than better right there bang okay and who knows I may I may send you one of these maybe one for you and one for Caden maybe I, like I might I might do that anyway that's so awesome that. what a guy what a guy so David one of the biggest mistakes that I made for my firm when I started this new firm is by not focusing on my brand um, as much as I should have. What one thing that I've consistently learned through this business is that design Mm -hmm. and brand are different. I didn't know that. I had no idea. So for our listeners that are not completely, you know, immersed in the design world, can you please give an example of how- Okay, well, I'm going to make it even more fundamental so everyone really, really, really gets this. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing you got to really get if you're in business- Okay. Everyone is always looking at a sales, sales, got to drive sales, got to get conversions, other sales deals, da, 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 sign contracts, loyalty. Da, da, da. Okay. There's something, there's two things that actually precede a sale. You don't have these in place. You will not have a brand. You will not have a business. You will have no sales. But sales is the obvious metric that everyone kind of like, Bleh! good. Prior to that is this thing called marketing. Okay. Marketing's job is not to create a freaking brand. And I'm telling you that in case anybody here listening is going, oh, well, yeah, we, we did a rebrand. We gave it to the marketing department. Bozo. I mean, come on, get it straight. Listen to what I'm telling you. So sales prior to that is marketing. Marketing's job is to execute what? The brand. Okay. So prior to the marketing is the brand done by a separate entity because 99, 98% of my projects, I work with the CEO. Why? Because I am creating a brand. That CEO has skin in the game. That CEO is the one who will, who will, I'm either helping their legacy or not. 
junior people, they don't know about legacy. They don't give a shit about legacy. All they know is, is this going to, is this going to secure my job or is this going to lose me my job? That's a different criteria. I don't care about your criteria. Trust me with what I do, it will make your job a thousand percent easier. So what happens is, is I work with the CEO to, because I, we really delve it and it, it, it impacts inside the organization outside the organization and then it gives marketing the thing to talk about so it goes from branding to marketing to sales because if you look at that sequence from branding on forward you're planting the seeds marketing is spreading the seed or marketing branding you're actually defining what freaking seed do you even have marketing spreading those seeds sales is harvesting yep. If you understand that, you will then be able to succeed. Now, with all of that being said, in marketing, there's design function. In branding, there's design function because a brand has several layers. What do we stand for? Who are we in the world? How will people be able to differentiate us as a brand from others? And what are the tools? And I mentioned it before. I'll just say it again. I, in, in my Brand Intervention Masterclass, I go over this in detail. I tell you there are 23 key differentiators, 23 key differentiators that hit every phase of branding. And there are three phases of branding. There's pre-sales branding, during the sales branding, and post-sales branding. So it's amazing. So in total, you have 69 opportunities to differentiate. Your job is to differentiate with words. Your job is to differentiate with design, with art direction, with color, with texture. All these things. Why is it that those of us that buy Apple products love just opening the freaking box? You know, because it's just it it slides out with freaking laser precision, and then you and every little thing, nothing is random. Nothing's loose in the box. Nothing's been come floating around. The the box isn't flimsy. There's not a corn a corner that's been dented. It's not shit material. You're just touching it. It's experiential. And that incorporates design, aesthetics, choice of material, the feel, everything. So that's the role of design and the scheme of those things. So, you know, some say, oh, oh do, you have, uh, do you have a brand? Well, yeah, we have a logo. And that's, that's kind of like saying, do you have a car? And you're like, well, yeah, I've got the steering wheel. Right. And that was the thing I really, I really didn't get at all. Brand, design, marketing, and from even from tech, you know, branding always fell under marketing. Branding and, and digital and any design always fell under marketing. You said three things. I mean, all of that was amazing. And thank you, David, for sharing all that. But you said three things that really resonated deeply with me. Number one, you said you work with the CEO because of vision and being able to articulate that vision. Other people, right. junior people, their metrics are not your business. Um, and, and if you're able to clearly articulate the vision of the CEO and you're able to, second thing that you said, level the branding. So it's different layers of the branding. It's this layer and this layer and, and, and the different um, schematics. So like walking through the brand, what is that? That's absolutely amazing. The third thing you said that I had no idea about truly, truly until five years ago, it has to be an outside agency. And I never believed this. I never believed it until I started really working closely with those who have their branding, kind of their branding companies or their branding department within their firm. All they do is regurgitated crap. All they do is keep, keep redoing the same things. Maybe it's a different color. Too, Maybe it's a different shape, to it. but it's they're the too same close to it exact and message. Too, it never ever and, grows. And they're, and they're doing, they're doing iterations. They're doing iterations. I'll be the first one. I jokingly yeah. say this, but it's actually true. I'm the guy that basically says they, they they suffer from what I call many many of the companies suffer from what I call beautiful baby syndrome. It's like and they've got the they've got the blood, sweat, and the tears. They've done the hokey pokey to like make sure it all came out nice, and then they then then, then they show and then they then they, then like is my baby beautiful? And I look at it and I say I've seen better. And you know I mean so I'm like I'm I look at it, it's like it's like I'm like I won't point out the the third eye or the or the or the you know or the you know or the or or, you know, at six weeks old, it's got a full beard. I'm like, you know, it's it's like kind of like a little funky. It's a little bit funky. It's, it's kind of scary. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. got the funky baby the going fun on. Your baby's and funky. So, <laughs> and so that's that's the that's the thing is like I'll, I'll be the one because I have because I love to practice what I call passionate impartiality. I completely give a shit, and I will be the one to say, okay, well, you just said that was brilliant. That other thing you just said, completely stupid, and it dropped your IQ by 45 points. 
Okay. I think that's fabulous. And I think if we had more of that, you know, we talk about cycles and we talk about iterations. How many times do we have to like say the same things over and over again in different ways to tweak it for somebody else? And we've wasted yeah. so much time and money. So I so appreciate the directness. David, tell me about- Are you, are, are you, are you talking um, about this amazing book? Yes, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me Absolutely. On the That's the one. On the head with the hardcover. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that book. Yeah, yeah, that one. That one, yeah. Oh, What's the perfect. purpose of the book? All right, so the thing is, is that you write it? I, about five-ish years ago, I was, no, or six years ago, about, I was looking and going, you know, I've been doing this at this point for about 35 years at that point. As of this year, I'm, I've been doing this for 41 years. Next year will be 42 freaking years. Crazy. But the thing is, is that oh I looked at this and I was like, I've worked for, I've, I've had, I've, I've done work for global brands, local brands, regional brands, little micro boutique brands, and even cities. I found through all of those and whether they were startups or a legacy brand that had been in business for 30 or 40 years. And here's the one thing for those that have been in business for a long time. I just want to tell you this. It is very, very, very common. And you will be shocked if you actually took the time to ask people, they'll remember what you did 40 years ago, 35 years ago, and you will have grown over that time. And all of a sudden, if you were to take a snapshot just of today, you will find that probably somewhere between 60 to 85% of what you, what generates money where you provide value is not even wholly known by everybody. They still remember what you were back when. You never took ownership of your dialogue. You never took ownership of your story and your narrative in the world. And so as a result, it kind of went on autopilot and you are suffering as a result. And so so I've done, I've done it for startups. I've done it for legacy brands that it's like they're going, how come we, we used to be number one and now like people like think of us as everyone knows us, quote unquote, but no one even, but no one chooses us. Knowing doesn't mean choosing. Knowing doesn't mean loyalty. No, you know, it's like awareness needs to cross the threshold of, okay, we're aware, but now why, why do we want to choose that to be the product or service that we are going to actually adopt? But with all that said, so after, after 35 or so years of doing this, I was like, with all of that range of experience, I found I always was dealing with the same misconceptions. I always was dealing and addressing the same blind spots. They were the same. It didn't matter whether someone was just got out of college and two years later they're in a startup or someone's been, Hey, I've been doing, I've been in business for four decades and, and I'm, I'm, I'm wealthy and I'm fine, but I want, but, but my business is like, is, is, you know, plateauing or flatlining or on a decline. And I don't know why. And it's not the legacy I want to leave behind. So without either of those, they always have the same freaking questions. So I basically was like, all right, if I don't freaking put this down, this shit's going to die with me. So that's where I basically started. I was like, okay, what are, what are, what are these things? I started just like listing these things out. And the interesting thing is every time I discounted one, I'm like, you know, I might be mid, mid a project with a client. And I'll go, oh, they know that. No problem. It's like, that's obvious. It would bite me in the ass in the, within, the, within the next 24 oh, to nice. 72 hours. And I'm like, ugh. And that was the, that was the painful lesson to learn. So this book literally... This book, I mean, I, I mean, I, I know that I've published. The, it's, it's like that. This is the, the the tools in here are responsible for four billion. Probably it's it's in excess of ten billion. To be honest, I haven't even I haven't even had a chance to update the social channels to say what it really is. Easily, easily eight to ten billion. Easily, even to the point where one of my clients, and this is where I really was like, wow. If you know how to brand, if you know how to empower leaders. And when I say leaders, I mean entrepreneurs, those who are not following the herd, but actually willing to challenge the status quo and willing to go at it and say, I'm willing to disrupt, I'm willing to innovate. I'm really to, willing to question these sacred cows that everybody's been bowing down to. It was when I went out with a CEO client lunch about two years ago, and he thanked me. Kind of like we were talking and then just sort of not in, in a non sequitur manner, he goes, by the way, David, thank you. I'm like, for what? He goes, because of you because of what you helped us do. I was, I was able, I, meaning him, was able to donate $50 million to charities that were truly good charities, humanitarian charities, that would benefit, like have a lot of benefit globally, and, and he was still now working on the next 50 million he could be doing. 
and his company is still growing and he's fine. Tell me, what did that feel like for you? My jaw kind of dropped to the ground. I, I was, I took, I basically probably held my breath for just about, I don't know, 20 seconds. I, I, it had to sink in. Yeah. I was like, cause I can, I, I can make anyone successful. I can fucking make anyone successful. I, I, I know the tool, I know the tools to do it. And, but success is not the fucking end game. No. Success isn't the end game. You know, it's just like closing a deal isn't the end game. That's bullshit. I mean, I'm here to build legacies. That was the thing that actually showed me that it was like, I've fortunately had only a few, less than, less than I can count on one hand, where I was dealing with extremely, what I call narcissistic and selfish CEOs. Yeah. Basically, the only thing that mattered was, were they making more money? Yeah. That was it. It didn't go farther than that. Making more money is not the end game. Making more money is, a, is the starting line. Yeah. It's like that I can do more, that I could, that I could say, you know what? I mean, I, mean I, I know for a fact, I have personally donated more money than probably 90% of the freaking entrepreneurs in, in America to causes that I support because they haven't been taught the power and the necessity of benevolence and having that abundance of like, here's the deal. If you truly donating, if me writing out a $50,000 check to something is going to bankrupt me, I'm fucked. Okay. That's, it's not like, oh, I don't have enough money. Now. No, that's, that's a horrendously, you're a pauper. You're a freaking pauper. And it's not having the money to spend. It's like having so much that you can do those things that you know are the right things to do. And that's the stuff that is, that's true wealth. So, so that, that base, that's the basic thing. That's the reason why I basically wrote the book because I wanted to have, oh, and here's the other thing. For those, for those are people, people going to be seeing this as well as hearing it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So, here, so, here, so here's the thing for those that haven't seen it yet. And by the way, if you haven't bought this, it's like, look, man, I don't give a shit if you need Black Friday as a, as a freaking excuse. I don't know if you need, need Christmas or an anniversary, but buy the freaking book tomorrow. Seriously. Seriously, I am not. And if you, if you, if it doesn't freaking like blow your mind as far as what you can do with your brand, I'll buy it back from you. Just freaking DM me, okay? Seriously, that's how much conviction I have in it. But the book, the way that, the way that, the book, this is the way the thing is, this is the size of it. This is the size of the text. I did not want to do, I could have written five times the words. I didn't want to. I want to do this to give you the points, like punch you in the face yeah. with the simplicities. Look at the way, and my favorite chapter, my favorite chapter. Chapter 26. Why? Because chapter 26 consists of two freaking sentences. That's a whole chapter. Okay, this, this is the this chapter opener right there. Okay, that's the chapter opener. Good versus great. And you know what it says? Right here. There's the freaking chapter. The entire chapter. And what does it say? A good brand makes us feel good about what they stand for. A great brand makes us feel good about what we stand for. I don't need to tell you more than that right, for you to get enough. exactly. That's what you need to know. Right. And if like, why do you need? Why I could have written, I could have written twenty five more pages on that. Why? And then, but then the last part of it is the end. You know, I I wanted to show. It's like so. It's like, hey guys, here's how it comes to life. I showed you before and after examples. I'm showing you the last fifty pages. Literally show you. Here's how this stuff looks. Here's how the befores, the afters, wow. Joanna Vargas out of New York, no before. I mean, all these different companies, some of which you've heard, some of you not heard. Steve Griggs out of New York City. I mean, these people, I mean, freaking gourmet chocolatier, every different aspect. But that's the, that's the reason why I wrote it, because I didn't feel like there was actually, there were books that were pretty to look at, which were useless pieces of bullshit. And then there were books that were, I didn't like the fact that 300 page business books were hiding the 10 pages of the good shit somewhere in the middle. I, I was like, oh, oh, this is a treasure hunt. Well, how about I pay you an extra 15 bucks for your book and you tell me where the freaking good shit is, okay? Right. That was the thing. So my thing was, I, I have no fluff. There's no fluff, there's no bullshit. There's no added, I wish you would get to the point. It's like point after point after point after point after point. I've had people who say, David, I freaking have like, I mean, I've highlighted your entire book. There's like nothing I haven't highlighted. That's what I was going to say. It's more of like a playbook. It's almost like a manual. It's not really like a sit down and kind of read. It's a highlighting book. It's like, this is what you need to do. It's an actionable book. This yeah. is incredible. And we'll link the book also um, in, yeah. in part of the show notes. So I'm going to go back because I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. How did you feel when he looked at you and said, thank you, and then finished with the donation to the causes that he loved, that he was passionate about, $50 million. How did you feel? I was, I was dumbstruck. 
I was humbled and, I, and I'm not a big fan of the word humble. I'm not a big fan of the word humble because I think that I think that it's I, I think it's a ploy for many. You know, I think it's been an abuse thing. Plus, plus the thing that mo- the few people un- don't understand. If you look at the actual derivation of humble, humble comes from old French from Latin, which means low, lowly, mm-hmm. lowly, as an unworthy, as an unworthy ground. It comes from from hummus ground. Wow. Okay. So so it act, but some but but somewhere along the line over time. It became this thing of, oh, okay, oh, oh, humility, that's a nice virtue. It's like, you know what? You know what's a nice virtue? Is if you're great, tell me you're fucking great with conviction. If you suck at something, tell me you suck at something and we'll either fix it or find someone else to do it. That to me, those are virtues. Though not, not that not, it's like, oh, I don't really like to talk about myself. It's like, fuck you. If you don't like to talk about yourself, there's the door. <laughs> Yikes, I'll remember that for our next call, my friend. So who's this book for? The book is for, bottom line is, is anybody that is tired of, ble- uh, if you are finding that you you are doing anything, whether it be a business, an activity or whatever, that is not get, not resonating, not standing out, if it's blending in, if it's falling into, okay, get in line, what, what, you're just one contender on the list of contenders for whatever, that's who this is. If you have something that you've done, that you've created as a business or, or an art form or a service that actually adds value and, it, and you're up against others, there's no shortage of options out there google whatever topic you want and there's and what there's 1.7 billion results in 0.98 seconds there's your compa- there's your competition it's a noisy noisy world we live in a noisy world so how are the good things going to stand out this is for anybody that has anything that they want to stand out did this book affect your career at all 100% i realized after after i'd done it that all of a sudden i was like oh this actually makes me scalable. Yeah. 24 7, 365, anybody can tap into my thing. It doesn't have to be that they, that I, that I was on their radar at the right time, at the right da 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 da. And, and, and here's ridiculous confession. I did not realize that, talking about a blind spot, this is my blind spot. I did not realize until I put the book out how much books are a street cred thing in the eyes of others. Right? I had, no, I had no clue. I thought, you know, as the originator of many things, like if you go to my, if you go to my website, there's over 300 articles, great articles, tons of visuals, tons of stuff. I mean, useful, absorbable, digestible, great articles. They're not scholarly academic. They're not filled with like, you know, spreadsheets and charts and, and they're not going to like over, they're not going to over geek you to death. No, they're actually, I'm talking to you like I'm talking to you now, I'm talking to you real. So I've got all those articles and I've got articles in other places and I have videos and I have this and I have that and I have all this content. And I, so when I put out the book, I was like, I'm just putting, this is Dave Rogers putting out another form of content. Right. I didn't realize when you like, and, and, and within two days it became a number, an Amazon number one bestseller. So in like three, in like three categories, you know, so it was insane. And so now people are like, they learn about me and they see me and now they have this other place to get and they get it. And they're like, this isn't like any other book I've ever seen. That's the one routine thing that they routinely say. And here's a little side note. You wouldn't know this. So my daughter, my daughter who is a millennial. And so at the time that I was probably was 27 when I asked her this, and so I, I showed her, I, I think I, I was working on one chapter and I, and I said, I say, honey, does this make sense to you? And I showed her the one thing and I said, I said, you're, cause she's an entrepreneur. She has her own business. I said, does this make sense to you? She reads it. She goes, yeah, that's cool. She goes, you finally get me. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, that's like a tweet because it was so big yes. <laughs> and yes. it's like, it like she had like a few sentences per page. And so, but the other flip side of it was when I first saw it, the first person who was like 50 plus who opened the book and they were like, finally, I'm like, what are you talking about? They said, 
a book I can read without my cheaters. <laughs> yeah. And you know what, well, I mean, David, that's like, that's how we kind of started this. We were having our like private conversation before. And I was like, look, the audience is this and this. And you're like, perfect. Got it. And I'm sitting here going, got it. What are you talking about? Those are so vastly different. But now I'm actually really understanding. One of the things that I actually myself and when I was doing research on this, when I was doing research over your career and who you were, 35 years. Okay. And now you're saying more like 40. So let's just call it 40. When okay. I think about... I've been in business for probably 25, 28 years. And again, right. like I told you, Silicon Valley started off in lead generation, demand generation, ton of gave marketing. Birth, gave birth to your first kid at 12. I did. Yeah. That's another yeah. podcast, David. We talked about that. Another Oh, that's podcast. another one. Another oh, I'm one. sorry. Get it together. Yeah. Get Stay it together. Tuned. Stay tuned, everybody. It's a good one. This is my show, darn it. <laughs> so when we talk about that, I stopped for a second. And I really took a long pause. So 40 years, branding expert. 40 years designer. That's not a massive career. That's completely different decades with branding, with designing. That is a thousand percent different. So when I look at my marketing budget, I look at my branding budget back in, you know, when I was 26 years old at Silicon Graphics. Okay. My branding budget or my marketing budget was $2 million and branding fell into that. And we didn't have an outside firm, at least in my, in my area. Okay. 40 years of branding and design hit for me three or four of the massive changes in that time? Well, there's a, there's quite a few. Um, one is, is that so when I started, there were no computers. Right. <laughs> right. That's what I was doing. I was like looking at it going, how do you do design when there's no computers? Like, is that freehand? Is that drawing? Like, what does that look yeah. like? Yeah, absolutely. You actually had to have talent and skill. You had to have the ability to draw. That's the difference. Amazing. I mean, that's you did right right now. Someone could go, oh, okay. I click, drag. There's my perfect square. Click, drag. There's my perfect. There's my perfect circle. Well, what if you didn't have those? Those are those are crutches. I mean, and I remember someone really ticked me off once. They saw one of my things that I actually did on a, on computer. Now that all starts out as a sketch. I could show you pencil sketches. I could show you my pencil sketches and shit. And so you're like, oh, so you do that on computer. What programs do you use? I was ready to punch them in the face. Yeah. I would like, it's like, I'm like, and I looked at it immediately and I was like, the programs I use are actually irrelevant. It's like, it's like those programs don't do any more for me than the microphone did for the Beatles. I said, the Beatles, the microphone didn't make the Beatles sound good. The Beatles made the microphone sound good. Yes. Okay. And so when they, when they did that, did that, that kind of gave them a viewpoint. I don't know to this day if they still got it. <laughs> right. Okay. So, but, so real talent, drawing, sketching. That's how we start. Okay. What's real next? Talent, well, we had to do stuff. We had to do stuff on draw on drawing boards. We had like, like, like drawing tables and, and T squares. And we would have to do manual physical. We would do physical mock-ups, physical 3d mock-ups of packages and designs as opposed to like now there's tons of online resources where someone could go, oh, there's a there's a mock-up and you could take your design and you could superimpose it on there. Mm. So it's just 3D modeling. So so it's like you sometimes you don't even know it and then it has to go off to you have to give it to someone who's actually gonna get involved in the actual die line to make the container, the package or whatever. So these are like little little nuances. But the other thing is, is that right now I would say there's a there's a proliferation of lots of designers, lots of young folks who know how to play the social the social media game. Mm-hmm. They don't have the street cred. They don't know the things to ask. I literally had one person, for example, I couldn't believe it. It's like they had asked me because I take the whole the whole branding thing as a holistic activity. I don't I rarely refer to myself as a designer, even though I am one. It's because it's too misunderstood it's like if someone said if you if you said to someone what do you do for what, what, do, you, what do you do for your for a living say like, well, well i'm in repair right and you go and you go like repair what you know vacuum cleaners cars airplanes uh what, what shoes what do you repair you know what i mean it's like one of those terms it's lost its meaning it's become too so i i talk more about the branding side and, de- and design is definitely one of the disciplines as is storytelling mm-hmm. as is narration and so I think that I think that there's this one designer had asked me and he said, he goes, so what point in the design process do you like, do you get into the story? Yikes. Wow. And it was that person still a client after he asked that question? This, this, is, not, this is not a client. This is, this is, a, this is another person who, another person who as in the profession of design, that's what they do. And I said, 
I never touched design before the story's actually done. I how said, do what the fuck am I doing? How do you even begin? Like, how do you even begin exactly. if you don't know the story? Exactly. What the heck? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's not, it's, I mean, that, it's like, that's where the cousin, it's like, it's not lipstick. <laughs> You're like, you and I will not be collaborating ever. <laughs> that's amazing. So as you've gone on through your career, what's the most relevant design tip right now that you could give the listeners to, and I mean design, not brand. We're going to talk about brand next. What's the most relevant design tip that you can give somebody to start with? The most relevant design tip, design tip would be more of a philosophical one, which is it's not where you start. That would be my most relevant thing is like design isn't where you start. You're not coming up with, oh, let's make a car and let's start drawing. And duh, duh, duh. that's different. If you're making a thing, if I'm making a sculpture, I start with design. If I'm making, if I'm doing a painting, I start with, with the design, art. But if you're dealing with a brand and you're talking about design, the context of a brand, that's not where you start tattoo that on your body. Have you said no to new clients when they've come to you and said, David, we just need you to do our art. We need you to do our branding. Have you said no? Sometimes. What makes you Sometimes. say no? If the chemistry feels really off, like they're like they're having to make me like, like they're asking me questions that are designed to make me prove to them that I know what the hell I'm talking about. They're, automatically the foundation is one of no trust. And I'm not asking them to trust me prematurely, but if you, the person I'm speaking to, do not have the judgment. Like, I mean, like, I'll give you a perfect example. There was one, there was one person, almost turned them away. They were, they were enrolling in, in my program, uh, in my masterclass that I put together for entrepreneurs. And what happens is, you know, we were on the phone for about, or a Zoom call for about 35 or 40 minutes. You know, it was asking about, so, so do you, so do you have like risk, uh, risk reversal, risk reversal offer, you know, like if after like a, like if after 30 days that I said, I said, fuck no. I said, I, I don't have any doubt on what the hell my shit can do for you. Now, if you have doubt, then that's a different story. I said, but the bottom line is, is you wouldn't have called me up if you had doubt. So I call, I called out the bullshit. So and I said, so if you honestly, at this point in time with the questions you've asked me, and the answers I've given you, if at this point in time, you honestly don't feel that I actually can be of benefit to you, I would say that we just, a uh, friendly manner, Part just ways. decide that this phone phone call's over. And then it was like, no, no, uh, no, 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 right? <laughs> right? No, 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 David, you must have taken that wrong. <laughs> right, right. Well, but that, but that's the thing. You've, you've got to know, you got to know when to call the bullshit. Absolutely. And call the so what have you learned about your brand throughout this 40 year spectacular, amazing career. What, what have you learned when you look back at your brand besides that you're just amazingly awesome? Other than that, I would say when I look back at my career, knowing what I know, I really wish that there was, I never had a teacher who ever taught me the importance of looking out there. All the, and what I mean is that the focus was always on they're going to teach me to master my skill. They're going to teach me to elevate my, my skill set. They're going to teach me to refine my, my design sensibilities, my taste, my this, my that, da, 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 da. but nowhere in that conversation was there ever. Okay. When you get out into the world, you'll be making an impact. The slow way to make an impact is to just focus on yourself and your skills. The faster way to make an impact and a more lasting way to make an impact is to actually look at others, look at your customers that you're helping. And then your skills will be able to truly be of true value. There was no context for what role my skills had in the world. I had to learn that by the seat of my pants. I had a conversation with, with Damon John about two weeks ago. And we were talking about as entrepreneurs mm -hmm. coming up the, mm -hmm. the ranks. Because, you know, he was born in Brooklyn and raised in Queens. I was born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens. You know, so we, we, had, we had kind of these parallel. We're, we're about 10 years apart in age. And so, you know, he, like me, he didn't have a mentor. Yeah. He didn't go to business school. He didn't have uh, someone that said, this is how you do it. This is how you do it smarter. But he did have that curiosity and how can I do it better? He had the hunger. And I similarly, I, I had a similar hunger to that. And so that was the thing. I never had anyone who ever gave me context. And that was probably the, the Achilles heel that made probably the first 15 years of my career very roller coastery. Right. You know, it was like, it was kind of like real highs, real lows, highs, lows, highs, lows. And that could have been avoided if someone just said, here's, not as a business person, but as a person. As a human. As a human being. It's like, you can do great things in the world. Here's how you can fit in. You can fit in like this. 
Here's how it'll normally go if you do that. Or you can fit in like this. So sometimes people will say, David, what, what, what was your, what was your, I think they, they might say Achilles heel or something like that. I, I think they might say it. People say that, ask that. And I say, well, my talent, my, my talent was the only thing I knew. It was the only thing that I knew to default and fall back on. Mm. I didn't know, how to, I didn't know how to negotiate. I didn't know how to particularly plan a project. Well, I didn't know how to plan it out in the proper sequence. I didn't know to, when the client said blah, and I was maybe not confident enough to say that's a stupid fucking idea. Right. Okay. And we're now that's, that'll be the first thing that comes out of my mouth. Right. I mean, you know, I'll be, you know, that's, that's, that's freaking stupid. If that's what you want to do. And, and I've, I've learned to do it graciously. I'll say, here's the deal. I say, it, it is your dime. It is your dime. I'm telling you what I would do. I'm telling you what I am recommending you do. If you do that, it's your dime. It, the final choice is rests on you. I have told you what I advise you to do based on what we've talked about and based on the homework we've done and based on the insights that I've presented to you that you seem to have understood. And if you're going to decide to go a different pathway, that's on you. That's not on me. That is on you. So I, I make sure to put all of the responsibility. Responsibilities of mine are mine. Responsibilities of theirs are theirs. And if they're going to override and make a different decision, which doesn't happen often, but, you know, maybe whatever few times here and there. Okay. But at least now I know how to navigate through that little landmine of, of that little landmine, that little shit storm, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's absolutely hundred percent about navigation. I know that it's a big joke because when we were doing, when I was on investment teams and in deal teams, I got the nickname dream killer. Cause I would say that I was like, that's a terrible idea. Or, you know, what's your key differentiators or how are you addressing the gap or your gap is too big or what, what niche are you talking about? Or, you know, have you looked at your competition and people would look at me and they'd cock their head and I'd be like, okay, you've come to us with this beautiful looking pitch deck that addresses none of this. And here's the deal. Have you done any research? And they would sit there and try and convince us. And I would basically just in three sentence, give them five top competitors and they would just leave so dejected and I they'd walk out the door and my team would be like you literally just shatter people's dreams I'm like or you know like make them not waste time and money like I'd like to look at it from a different perspective right so you were, so you were the Mr. Wonderful I not nearly as bad as him I, I not that bad I mean I'll listen you can change my mind I, I will listen to the perspective and I, I raise my hand and go hey I'm only an expert with this many things okay so change my mind but if you're standing there and you're just swirling and swirling and swirling and I know the competitors we had this like there was a scooter idea you know the scooters that you kind of get from point A to point B and they made a couple of tweaks on this which were very cool but somebody had already done that and they were like wait what are you talking about and I, I mean if I can google it in three seconds and find out then clearly you have not done your job just saying, Correct. just saying. Yeah, yeah. So cookie cutters are for baking, not branding. Yes. How do you balance keeping up with trends, but also finding your original style? And this is important, David. This is one of the things that really hit home for me. I don't have time in my business to constantly keep up with the new trends and find out all the new social media tricks and all of the new, you know, all of the different things that are going on and staying relevant in such a technology advanced era and system having amazing teams and having retention that is through the roof i know sometimes for me i fall behind the eight ball how do you do this well one is trends are transient i don't make the mistake of thinking that trends are going to dictate where we need to go we need to be cognizant of them only to know where everyone's been right trends aren't where everyone's going the thing that i found in, in building brands you know, there are brands that are built on, especially in the technology space, there are brands that are built on, you know, certain technologies and certain breakthroughs and certain this is certain that's and da, 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 da. But the brands that actually last the, the, till the end of time are the, and that basically appear to be timeless, like somehow they're timeless. Well, yeah. what ends up happening is, what ends up happening is, is like, let's look at two brands that we, that we know very well. Okay. Nike, just do it. Just do it. Can house whatever the hell they were designing 30 years ago. Right. They can help whatever they were designing, whatever they're designing today, whatever they're designing 30 years from now. It's just do it. It's a, it's a mantra. It's an anthem. It's a declaration. And when Steve Jobs came back and basically had to revive Apple from near death, and then they launched the Think Different campaign. Yes. It, it didn't say, we're back, or it didn't say, better better operating system cooler graphic graphic user interface it was think different and it celebrated what that thing that was timeless 
that the the trailblazers who went on who basically basically broke new ground and didn't conform that's timeless so when i'm looking at building a brand i'm looking at building something that is timeless that has that has values that that are that are resident in us you know because stuff's going to change stuff's going to pivot so, so, you know something something can happen it can be released tomorrow and all of a sudden no oh, shit the whole freaking the whole freaking market space has shifted oh you go so you can't hit, you can't hinge it on one thing unless you're in like something like direct response. It's like okay, we're going to direct response, and we've got the most we've, we we not, we not only have the most uh, you know resilient cookware, you know, but it not only it not only nothing sticks to it, it actually repel, it repels grease in a fifty mile radius. It's unbelievable. It's like, and if you have oily skin, you will no longer have oily skin just by having this in your kitchen. It repels anything oily and greasy. It's amazing. That's the thing. You got to understand these different schools direct response that kind of stuff it's like call to action da, 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 da. and that's the job of who marketing yes the brand has to be more more you know it's like it's like if you look at the span of time with a i went over branding i went over marketing i went over sales time the span of time for each of those is dramatically different branding needs to be like freaking enormous in terms of time usefulness and 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 life marketing is shorter spans it's like a campaign and then a sale is like even shorter yes. so each one of these has a shorter lifespan the branding has the biggest lifespan and impact marketing is smaller and sales is like bang and so you know it's all going to be relative even if your sales cycle is it takes us nine months to close a deal but the deal is worth you know 20 million bucks yeah like okay Good. Well, that's your life cycle. That's your sales cycle. That's fine. Another sales cycle is going to be someone coming into a store and going, boom, I want that. And they drop you 300 bucks in, in purchases, but they're all relative. Branding, marketing, sales. So we're running out of time and I'm so sad and I have a couple other questions and this has been so enlightening for me and I'd love to do this again with you. Um, I just feel like this is going to be such a huge value from hearing from such an expert in this field, providing such incredible value. What is the number one biggest mistake startups make around brand? Chasing some fleeting little like uh, hot now and gone tomorrow uh, trend would be a terrible mistake or building something based on something that's likely to just be trending now. And, and, and again, like, for example, I think I mentioned that I'm a big music fan. I had tons of records when when records were in vogue. And, and I still have, I still refuse in my closet back there. I still refuse to throw away my 700 CD collection. You know, some of those things have never actually made it to, to, to digital distribution. So I'm like, oh, so I've got, I've got, I've got them back there. Anyway, so I've got those. And of course, I, I don't know. I think the last time I looked, I have about 4,000 songs on my, on my actual, you know, music library and stuff, my digital music library. But back in the day, probably I want to say mid mid eighties to ninety, there was a, a company that came out called CD Baby. Do you remember? Do you remember I CD do. Baby? I do. Yeah. Okay. So they, here was the interesting thing. So it was around the time that CDs were like they were the future. Absolutely. Right. Vinyl was gone. CDs are the future. There was no other future. So of course this band, this this startup creates CD Baby, and it was where you can get you know cool. Off the, off the radar, kind of, uh, you know, not quite on the mainstream, you know, CDs and stuff like that. And it's like, cool, cool, cool. But then at, once digital distribution starts happening and digital streaming starts happening, CD Baby becomes like, that's now what vinyl has become, right? Yeah. So they built their brand on that. That would have been a mistake. If, uh, knowing what I know now, that would have been like, no. What are we really about? They really were about, and here's the, here's the interesting part. They were about independent music artists. Right. That's what they really were about. But they made it about the current technological solution, which was CDs. So I would have made it about independent music. I would have been like that, like where you could find new music, where you could find fresh music, where you could find you know, something like that would have would have been able to actually last Sustain. forever. Right. No matter. Absolutely. No matter. Even if it's a freaking chip that we're going to have in a freaking like right. Oh, right. Right here. You know, and so oh, just press that little vein. And there you go. There's your there's your music library. It's downloading right now, you know. 
So David, you know that we like to ask one last question at the very end of our show. What is the... I know, this is, I know that you told me this is going to be the most personal, the most piercing, the most... Uh, and, and I know that. I know that. I, I brought a change of clothing just in case I just I, everything just goes out of control. I mean, you keep mis- mix, mixing up these podcasts. That's the next podcast we're doing, not this one. Oh, damn. <laughs> I hate when that happens. <laughs> what is the biggest obstacle that you've been able to turn into an opportunity? For a client or just ever or ever? No, just you. Just, I mean, it can be a client. It's your experience. For probably the first 10, 15 years of my career, occasionally when I would be speaking to a client or prospective client, they would say, you know, they, they, they'd be checking me out. And I didn't know how to fr- properly frame myself as an expert in that right. capacity yet. I was still finding my feet. Um, so I was, I was a talented designer at that point i was that's what i was probably known as and they were like so have you ever done anything in uh and whatever their industry is and that would always stump me it would stump me it would freaking kill me it would be like i mean because I, I was i was good i was persuasive i, I could talk and they say so have you ever done anything in in cosmetics and or have you ever done anything in technology have you ever done anything in food have you ever done, done anything in whatever and and i'd be like well, no, I, I really, I, I, it was terrible. I, I really had no freaking answer. I was right. like, ah, oh, just shoot me. And I try and na- navigate, not to my satisfaction. Then it got to a point and it's in my book. Uh, you probably remember, do you remember the Legacy Chocolates? Uh, oh yeah, the Legacy yeah. Chocolates? yes, absolutely. Okay. So Legacy Chocolates, that rebrand in there. Well, th- I mean, they literally went through, I'd never done anything for chocolate before. Okay, never. And um, I'd done stuff for food, but not specifically for like a gourmet, handmade, really amazingly done chocolate. And so I started, I just brought together all the stuff that I was learning and codifying and really, really working out as far as branding in terms of the language and the color and the design and the aesthetic and the homework and the, the right kind of homework. Not all homework is equal. I will tell you right now. That you want, you want, you want a gold egg right there. Not all homework is equal. The perfect example. If anybody, if anybody listening here who has was a CEO of a corporation, you end up with any any firm of any sort that says we're going to conduct an, an interview. And we're going we're to interview a hundred of your employees. Shoot them right there. Okay, escort them to the door. That's bullshit. You don't need to know what's going on inside. You need to know what the hell's going on outside. Right. And you, it's also helpful to get a little bit of a bead on what's going on culturally or inside in case you got, you, you, you know, you're on the verge of a mutiny and that because you've been, uh, you've been a lousy leader. That's worthwhile to know. But don't, but like, for example, all homework is not the same at all. But I've met, we've mastered this. We slay. We slay the research area. It's amazingly what we could, the, the jewels that we come out with. Anyway, so the thing that I found out after after I did that, I had the success with Legacy Chocolates, and I realized what I brought to it. I brought that outside view. That was my asset. Yes. Not had I done stuff in this space before. That's not an asset. Right. That's not an asset at all. Usually, it's a blind spot. It's like, oh, you want a template so you can look like all the other people in your industry? That's what you want. So, literally, it was like now when people go. Okay, have you ever done this, anything in, in this industry before? I said, absolutely not, and that's my greatest asset to you. Because I will bring to you an impartiality and an objectivity that will come back to you in spades. And so that's probably one of one of the big ones. That so resonates with me because I know with our team, you know, you get you see the same information over and over. You have the same templates over and over again. You're looking at this stuff as you put it out. And I always say, please look at this as our viewers. Please look at this as our future clients that have that don't know the inside, that have no idea where we are, or what our location is, or what we're doing. Look at it from their view. It makes sense to you because you hear it every single day. It makes sense to you because you know our mission and our vision. But if you heard it from somebody else or you're looking at it from something else does it resonate with you do you understand it is it explainable do you like do you get it and so i think that that is just perfect perfect advice thank you so much david this has been incredible i knew it would be where do people find you where do people find out about the master class where do people find out more about you and all of your offerings totally the thing the 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 First of all, the simplest one is risingabovethenoise.com, R-I-S-I-N-G, risingabovethenoise.com. That's where you can basically get in touch. You can subscribe to our blog. You can 
more than since it's pretty much an encyclopedia of anything and everything having to do with any aspect of branding and rebranding. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I mean, it's like I, there's stuff I pretty much drop there every day and you can find me on other channels, Instagram and YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. And if you want to find out about the masterclass, we're in the process of adding it to the, to the main website. We've had it as a standalone. If you, if that interests you, DM me, reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to do it. You know, and, and of course, I know that after you get your coins, you're going to end up like showing this everywhere. And my freaking phone number is right there. So you're going to show it. If all of a sudden they start getting these calls from these people who are like, hey, I'm from the jungle. And I'm going, oh, shit. It's our peeps. You're like, it's Stephanie, Stephanie guys. struck again. <laughs> Oh my God. Oh my God. It's like, it's like all, all, all of our peeps are coming out of the jungle and they're like, and they're like, they're like half dressed, covered in leaves and, and mud and unbelievable. Good Lord. That's, that's the okay. next podcast. Not this one. <laughs> I, what, whatever, whatever. It, it's all the same. It's all the same. David, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. 100%. Absolutely. No, great questions. I love your energy and I love your I love your your curiosity because that's that to me is the make break point with entrepreneurs who make the difference. I mean, if they don't have that curiosity, if they if they are complacent, complacency is like your freaking it's like call it ICU. Call ICU. Hey, where, where are you bleeding? I'm not bleeding. I'm, I'm freaking complacent. Send over a professional right now. You know, get the help. I love it. Thank you so much, David. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. Also, head over to YouTube to check out all of the live videos on our new podcast channel, Spin It with Stephanie Malik. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E, Malik, M-A-L-I-K, or visit my website at stephaniemalik.com.